We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Seventeenth April, twenty seventeen. This just into the news desk. Old dog can learn new tricks. We'll discuss all that and more on this edition of the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. And you can also be assured that I will never do that thing again because that was super awkward and did not sound right. But you get the idea. Old dog learns new tricks. Leopard changes spots. Elliot. Like Giroud. No, that last one's a joke. That won't happen. But we're going to discuss the seismic shift in the Premier League, and we are going to do it with Tim. You can find him on Twitter, at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive is on Twitter, Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, Elliot. Yes. Great. Thank you for your ebullient introduction. Uh, Paul is not here. He was stricken by the change. He was so stunned by it. He was stunned into cardiac arrest. I'm kidding. He didn't have a cardiac arrest. He's just not here. Uh, But we have to get to it. We have to get to the big, big news of the Premier League. And I will start with you, Clive. What do you say about the fact that Arsene Wenger does hashtag tactics? Yeah, well, it takes uh, it took a little bit of time to, to get over the shot. Three at the right? back, should... three at the back. I mean... When when the, when the official account tweeted it out, did you assume that they had just drawn the picture incorrectly? No, when I saw it, I didn't. Re- I got halfway up the team, 
I just said, I just sent out a tweet saying, this is like something new. Can't wait to see it. I didn't even know he was playing up front. I had to go back and look to make sure Alexis was playing. I just wanted to check, right? So, um, yeah, it, it was very exciting, wasn't it? Right? It felt like, um, it felt like a, a, you finally got your dad into skinny jeans. Do you know what I mean? It felt do you, like. Um, do you want your dad in skinny jeans? I feel well, like. Gotta, <laughs> if we're gonna, gotta, gotta by get, the way, thank you for carrying you forward uh, Paul's analogy corner. Thank you for that. In his <laughs> you got to. Eventually, the flares have got to go, right? You got to get them tapered ones to go down to them so your shoes look nice. And it felt like we finally got him to do something like this. He did feel a little bit begrudging. I don't know why. I don't know if I'm being cynical, but. Um, but we are where we are, and I thought we should have done two or three games ago. But um, yeah, it was great to see a manager respect the opposition, respect the game, and respect where the team's confidence is. I mean, Man City may have been the first building block, but we so needed some more building blocks to come after that, a bit of security, because the confidence is shot within the group, right? So, so whatever his reasons for doing it, whether it was injury related or whether it was something he's been working on. Depends which story you want to believe, but um, yeah, it was just great to see a manager respect where the team is emotionally, physically, and, and mentally, and, I'm gonna and, ask and make you, an adjustment. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to just hypothesize. Do you think this came entirely from Arsene Wenger, or if you had to guess, would you say that the the squad said, "Hey, we need to change something. You need to change something here." Do you think Bold did? I mean, I, I realize that you have no way of knowing this and whatever answer you provide will probably be proven untrue before we even publish the podcast. Yeah. But but if you had to guess, where would you say this came from? Let's see what happens, right? Because what normally happens if Theo Walcott divulges, divulges all in the next 24 hours, right? <laughs> so we'll know the answer really shortly. But there was one sort of video that came out of Aaron Ramsey being interviewed by Lee Dixon. Must be for some American channel. And um they interviewed him after the game and he sort of said what happened after Palace and he said, well, you know, we all had two or three days off and we came in and we went straight into a meeting and I would love to be a fly on the wall in that meeting. I'm not saying it came out of that meeting, but it'd be interesting to know what actually happened. I think the players recognised that there was a breakdown between them and the fans and uh, they wanted to put something right. So it'd be interesting to see if it was a major decision, a group decision or a player decision. So um, no doubt what Theo will do, he'll say, he'll come out and tell us all about a meeting shortly, so we'll soon now. Give me 24 hours yeah. and we'll see how we go. I mean, I, we'll, we'll get to Sanchez after the whistle and stuff, but like the way he celebrated after the whistle and sort of the smiles and the camaraderie, um, I, I, again, we're totally prognosticating. What I read into that was like, maybe the players were behind this change and there was a lot of ownership of the performance and the result, or the, the result particularly, because maybe they had said we need to make a change and that, that there was some vindication here in getting the result. I, I mean, that, that could just be obviously a, a guess based on nothing. But, Tim, um, well, let me start with this. How surprised were you by the change and how happy were you to see it? Uh, yeah, I was incredibly surprised. Um, I was just saying to Clive off air there that um, for a few months I've had in my mind that I might write an article about the prospect of Arsenal going with a back three because I've thought for quite a long time. You're going to dabble in writing again? That'd be good. You should get back into it. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and because I've, I've felt for a little while that we we potentially have the players for it, but um, I never wrote the piece because I just didn't ever expect to see it. 
Um, how long term it is, I, I don't really think it is because I think we've seen Wenger kind of groping at this for a little while now in terms of trying things with the team. He tried, you know, he's put Chamberlain in central midfield, he's moved Ozil wide, he's moved Sanchez around, he's tried Giroud up front, he's tried Welbeck up front, you know, he's tried to drop Iwobi a little bit more into a midfield three. Like, he's been trying so many little things to try and, you know, it's like the team has... It's like he's standing over the team with a defibrillator, you know, like desperately trying to like shock them back into life. We don't and all have to do to analogies do just because Paul is off the podcast, <laughs> but sure, go ahead. <laughs> but, you, you know, and, and he seemed to hint at that afterwards, Arsene Wenger as well. So I'm not, I'm not sure this is going to be something particularly, particularly long term or I'm not even convinced we'll see it again, but... He kind of said, you know, he gave this kind of roundabout explanation. You know, sometimes the team needs something a bit different to get them believing again. And I wouldn't be surprised if the players had a strong input um, into it. Whether it came from them, um, I'm not sure. But it, I, I, I don't think that's impossible at all. Uh, I'm sure it was a, it was a bit of a, a bit of a two way thing. But you know, I think he was just trying to get. He's been trying to get a response for some time now. Um, and I, I think, you know, you're quite right, Clive, about, I think the players, there was a real realisation, you know, when they, they kind of, they got told what was what by the supporters last Monday. Um, and actually, I didn't think it was a bad thing at the time. And I, I certainly don't think it's a bad thing now, because if it got them to respond, then, you know, job done, quite frankly. Um, so, yeah, I, I was I was quite pleased to see it, to be honest, although... I think that excitement was tempered a little bit by the fact that I, I think for quite a while, I think there's something, there's been something broken in this team that goes a little bit beyond how we set up or where players are playing. I think there's been something a little bit deeper um, going on there. And whether it's the belief in the team, whether it's just confidence, whether it's just the manager's message isn't landing anymore. Um, I don't know, but I think there's been something a little bit more fundamental. So while I was quite excited to see it, I did kind of think, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure this is the problem, though. Um, I, and, and I'm not sure if this addresses the problem. Yeah. Um, but it, it was certainly very exciting to see. We're, we're well stocked enough at centre-half as well to play three centre-halves because, you know, we've got a lot of players that can play there. Um, I, th- I think the only and maybe player... the right profile of center halves for the back yeah. three, right? Yeah, exactly. mobile, good think... passers. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you can see Mustafi playing on that right hand side. He often plays a little bit like a fullback, anyway. Um, I think the only player on the night of the players we selected that it didn't really suit was Nacho. I don't think he's quite got the legs to be a left wing left wing back. Actually, I think he'd be quite good as one of the three. Um, centre-halves on the left-hand side. I think that would suit him probably more than being a wing-back. I think that, that strikes me a little bit more as Kieran Gibbs's game. Well, what we saw in the um, night, right, based on Ox and Nacho, just total contrasting performances, is that the modern wing-back in a back three is more winger than full-back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and with Chamberlain as well, when I saw it was him instead of Bellerin being picked, I thought to myself, you know... The, I think we've been kind of looking for a position for Chamberlain for quite a while. And I thought about it and I thought, actually, right wing back really, really could potentially suit him, um, could really suit him. A bit like we've seen with Victor Moses at Chelsea. Is that where you uh, think you know, Pep will deploy sudden, him next season? 
<laughs> quite quite possibly yeah that, that's it we we might you know inadvertently make him a bit more marketable but obviously in in the long run if we were to use this formation on a on a more regular basis then obviously Bellerin would be the go-to choice and again Bellerin as a, as a right wing back that's you know that's music to my ears I think he's absolutely built for it but yeah I, I thought it was really interesting um I'm not sure it gets to the crux of the problem, which is our midfield, yeah. um, particularly our central midfield. I'm not really sure it addresses our issues in there, albeit if you're playing with, you know, Alexis and Ozil as kind of two number 10s, then potentially that gives you like a little bit more in there, particularly if you've got Alexis a bit more central because he will chase back and he will try and get tackles in. But, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's it's a kind of, a real fixer. It's not a panacea is what you're saying. I mean, it it could have genuinely been a tactical selection for this one match and based on the available players, based on the fact that Mustafi looked like he wasn't available, maybe they wanted to get um, Bellerin out of the firing line. I mean, for me, the narrative has been that the manager is... Um, scuffling, you know, he's he's searching for an answer, and in past seasons, he's been able to find that one little tweak, whether it was bringing Coughlin in and and shielding the back four with him, or when Ramsey came back from injury a few seasons ago and he played a more defensive setup, or you know whatever it is, he's been able to find something to solve the problem. And this season, he hasn't. And this to me just felt like another attempt, albeit a more radical attempt. Um, I mean, I, I want to get to individual performances and, and issues in the match, but Clive, let me get back to you on this because I, I think it is such an important moment in our season. I mean, for me, this feels too little too late, unfortunately. I think top four is gone. I think this feels like almost a preseason experiment for 2018, 2017-18 season more than it does a, a salvage moment for this one. But, I mean, you see it as a start to the to the rebirth of this Arsenal team? It's a potential start to some of our weaknesses, right? So, I mean, Big Sam laid it out after the Crystal Palace game, how to be Arsenal, right? Sit there, wait, wait and give you the ball, kick it forward early, two against one, fill the space as quickly as you can behind the centre-halves and see if you can create a second effort and a, and a cross ball or a set piece. He, he, he laid it out. And so what the three at the back does is it... it it helps us with the first ball. And uh, I thought we were quite secure on the first straight ball. We competed and we covered around nicely. And what it does, it discourages people from that tactic. It, it forced them to play through us. So I felt it was a start point. And as Tim alluded to, all our centre-halves, almost all of them, had some time in their career at fullback, which means they're comfortable in wide spaces, a comfortable one-on-one, because to be an after centre-half, you have to be. But we normally stress two centre-halves out that way. Just and There wasn't so much stress with three. They made the pitch big when we had the ball. And they got tight when when they had it. I did feel we dropped into our box a bit too much. We didn't hold our line. Our goalkeeper doesn't like crowd scenes, so he should be getting them out. I felt we dropped in. When Downing had the ball and he set it inside, you have to leave the box, right? And um, I felt we just waited for him. That's some of the, That's because our defenders are athletic and they fancy themselves to cut the ball out mm-hmm. if they're a bit more positionally aware and they, they would actually get out of their box a lot more like some of our previous centre backs of yesteryear who weren't so athletic they were much more focused on where they stood at all times and um, we need to do a little bit of work on that 
I thought it's promising. I thought it hit some weaknesses of our centre mid, and Tim's already got it in his head. I'm sure we'll get to that. And uh, Oxley Tim did great. And I just thought having the two number tens behind the centre forward, we can all see there's it's a start point, but we could improve on this by getting the right profile of player in just to to match your position. Maybe Middlesbrough were quite slow and lumpy, so we didn't get outrun. But Man City are not. So let's see what we do. Ironically, that is uh, also exactly how I've been described, slow and lumpy. So I have some sympathy for that. Um, uh, look, I mean, <laughs> let's get to the positives before we get to the negatives. And, and Clive, I'll let you start off on it. I mean, I, this was not a great performance. And the excitement over the fact that we started with a back three, I, I, I think, can easily obscure the fact that it was a disjointed and worrying performance in a lot of ways, and you can kind of defend it by saying, well, it's our first time playing a back three, but you'd like to believe that, you know, against a, a fairly pathetic bottom of the table side like Middlesbrough, we might have seen a little bit more of a glimmer of hope. I mean, if if you want to look at XG, depending on who's you look at, we lost this game 2-1 to one or 2-1.2, to 1. 2, but I mean, very few chances created, and, and we did gift them some sort of traditional Arsenal comedy gold in the box defending moments at times too, but I, I, I want to start with the positives and I went on a little ramble about the negatives anyway, but uh, Clive, I think the bright spot, certainly Oxley chamberlain and his performance at wingback, um, Tim touched on it. I wanted to get your thoughts on how he played in that position. Yeah, well, I'm a huge fan of him. Everyone knows that, right? And I, I thought he was great. I thought players always tell you who's, who's hot and it's almost like NBA, right? You always give it to the hot hand. And the players kept giving him the ball all the time. And um, and and he's got the ability to stop and start people. He can slow it down now. I think his short passing used to be really, really sloppy and frustrating. I think it's improved with his time in the midfield. So when he didn't have to feel like he had to beat his man every single time, he could do short accommodation passes and go on the second phase. I, he must have put in nearly 10, 10 or so crosses. And they were really... Dinks, they were soft, they were cutbacks, there were variations. I felt he tired towards the second half. He'd done so much work in the first half. But I just thought his performance was outstanding. And if you think about his season, I think, you know, before this year, he scored like some, a ridiculous amount, a small amount of goals and very few assists. He's up to his, you know, assist rate, he's up to his output, he's up to his influence. He's played left midfield, he's played deep midfield, he's played right back in the four, he's played wing back, he's played right wing, he's played number 10. I mean, talk about making him more marketable. We are, we're fattening up this turkey for Christmas, really, aren't we, unless we get him signed up. Because money, money, money. Why wouldn't, yeah, why wouldn't, <laughs> why wouldn't you want him in your squad where you can deploy him in so many different positions and he threatens you? You know, so whenever you watch a game, whenever I watch a game live, I always... I always look at the emotion of hope. And when the player gets the ball, where is my hope index? Is it high or is it low? Do I feel he's going to do something? And I just kept hoping he'd get the ball. And I, had, and I trusted him to do something. Now, we could all, I'm trying to sit on my hands here and say this is Middlesbrough, but I felt that more about him as this season's gone along. And um, I think most Arsenal fans, although I do argue with a few who don't agree with me, um, most Arsenal fans would say he has improved this season. You know, you know what and I would say, Clive, about him is the Oxlade Chamberlain you see in the build-up phase of play has been vastly superior than the Oxlade Chamberlain you see in the final third and finishing phase of play. 
Um, yeah. I think that when he has a little time and space, when he can run at uh, defenders on the wing or through the midfield, when he can, when he he doesn't have to make those split decision passes or finishing moves on the in the opposition box. That's when I think he he starts to struggle. I mean, we even saw it at the very end of the game, right? When the game got stretched at the very end, he had two moments late in the game when he could have cut the ball back or made better decisions in the box and probably gotten us an easy finishing goal there. Um, I agree, but you know the way I look at it, Elliot? I mean, if you you tell me another player who could do that in our team. No, his versatility is exceptional. He's quite quite passive, quite passy. We create angles. We don't have people to run through people enough. We haven't got enough of those. And so he gets himself into those positions. So I look at, maybe it's the coach in me, but I look at it slightly differently. I, I look at the, the cause and I look at what he's doing and at what his influence is. And the end product, it will come. It will come. But the amount of times he got himself in those positions, that's a technical and physical thing. And and he's improved aerobically. He's improved power-wise. And so the next phase has got to be that final ball. So if you're looking at his development, I, I feel it's coming. I really do. I feel it's coming. It's not It's not far away. But it's will it come after? Will it come somewhere else? Well, what's so strange about him is technically and physically he is as good as just about any player in the squad. And where I feel he lets himself down is, is the intelligent side of his game. He doesn't always make great decisions. And it's so ironic because yeah. off the pitch he comes across as one of the more intelligent footballers in the squad. So it's kind of ironic that his on-pitch intelligence doesn't seem to match, at least not yet, his off-pitch intelligence. I mean, Tim, um, just quickly a final word on Ox. I mean, would you agree that further from goal, whether he's playing as wingback or playing in midfield, he's been more impressive than when he's been pushed up into the final third? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think, actually, this is something I think Arsene Wenger found out about Jack Wilshere and Thomas Rosicki. Um, both of whom, when they first came into the Arsenal squad, were kind of wide forwards, but he he put them back into midfield roles. And you know, he said specifically about Wilshire that his his burst is very very uh, valuable to us inside our own half. You know, taking the ball from you know the defensive third and travelling with it towards the attacking third um, is something that he's very good at, um, which is something Thomas Rosicki was very very good at. So yes, I do agree with that. I, th- I think the only thing I I'd add yesterday was that um, the game was a little bit more set up for him because he has had in the past this this obstruction really with Sanchez because I don't think you can have him and Sanchez as the wide men in the same team. Um, but if Sanchez is playing more centrally, that becomes less of a problem. Also, we were playing you know Giroud and Ramsey, so the game was a little bit more set up for crosses. Um, and for someone getting to the byline, and, and Chamberlain's very, very good at that. Um, and you know, he so playing. So I, I've always thought if you're going to play Giroud, play Chamberlain, um, because those those two really fit. They really meld together um, quite nicely. And unfortunately, I, I thought Giroud had a bit of a shocker. Um, had his movement been go on. <laughs> <laughs> Had had Giroud's movement been anything above utterly dreadful, um, I think he could have had a, a couple of goals with Chamberlain's help. But he he really didn't know where to stand with um, with Alexis and Özil behind him. It, it looked like he hadn't worked that out at all. Um, I th- I think he could have had a goal or two out of Chamberlain's wide play, um, but for that, yeah, I I think 
Giroud didn't have a great game. I mean, I, ironically, I'm not sure there were a lot of good performances here. And I'll stay with you for a second, Tim. I mean, mm. switching to a back three is all well and good, but I think where our season has gone to shit is in the middle of the park. I think our midfield has been mm. a disaster, and it continued to be on the day. I thought this was a relatively poor midfield performance. Um, there were a lot of times where Shaka had the ball 40 yards from goal, and everybody else was just standing five in a row along the 18-yard box. I mean, the, the you know, 18 yards from goal. And, and there was not a lot of connectedness between the midfielders. Um, I think that mm. we sort of struggled to, to use midfield to move them around and create space and opportunities. The irony being that Ramsey, Alexis, and Ozil all struggled, I thought, but all contributed absolutely essential moments to and, and moments of absolute quality to make the difference in the game. How did you see the midfield performance? I thought um, it improved as the game went on. Um, I thought Ramsey in particular had a much, much better second half than he yes, did, than he did first half. I think that my frustration is that there, there really could be something in this Ramsey and Jacker um, partnership, but he, Arsene did that thing again yesterday where he had them swapping. So sometimes you've got Granite Jacker standing up the pitch where he's not as useful and Aaron Ramsey collecting the ball off of the defenders. That was so strange to me, um, yeah. Yeah, I, and I kind and, of... And Ozil did it as well, by it. the way. And that's when we're at our worst, when Ozil has to come get the ball off the back four. Yeah, yeah. Although I'm I'm more all right with that when Ramsey's playing because Ramsey is quite forward. capable of, yeah, of, of stepping forward. But... Yeah, and I kind of get it because he doesn't just want someone sitting on Granite Jacker and man-marking him and obstructing our game. But I, I, I don't think, I just don't think Ramsey and Jacker are those players. You know, if you want, you've got to play someone quite multi-purpose if you want to do that. So I think you can do that with El Nani. I think he's capable of picking the ball up off the back four, and he's capable of, you know, being the one to come a little bit forward and and receive the second pass. But Ramsey and Jacker, they're just, you know, they're, they're a really distinct profile of midfielder. Jacker, brilliant, collecting the ball off centre-halves and distributing. Ramsey is not good at that at all. Ramsey, brilliant at getting forward and finding pockets of space. Jacker can't do that at all. It's, it's, it's a sloppy fit um, if Arsene wants to do that, really. Um, have this kind of two number sixes rather than a number four and a number eight. And, um, and and I think that contributed to it because I, I thought when, you know, Jacker was doing what he was good at, or what he is good at, rather, he looked OK. And when Ramsey was, you know, getting forward and finding those pockets of space, he did all right as well. But when they were then asked to do what they're not so comfortable with, they didn't look as good. And I think that kind of contributed to it. And I, I do wonder if that at this particular moment in time just complicates things a little bit too much. Um, because I was looking at the performance last night and I didn't think it was very, I, I thought it was quite an average performance. Um, but at the moment, my expectations are quite low and I know the confidence is low in the team. So really I'm looking for them to observe the basics properly. And I think they did that last night. I don't think they did much more than that, but it's kind of a starting point. And I, and I do wonder... <laughs> We're setting the bar pretty just, high. <laughs> yeah, it's just at the moment doing that I, I wonder if, you know, the, the risk of sounding like Mike Bassett, England manager, you know, 4-4, four, four, bloody 2. I, I, I do wonder if, like, we should just walk before we can run a little bit at the moment and perhaps not confuse our central midfielders and let's try and settle it down a little bit. 
um, before we then ask them to to you know become cross-purpose midfielders, particularly while they're they're getting to know each other. Um, so it, it was it was a bit busy, um, I think, in midfield. It looked a lot better when we were really going for the goal. I think at one all. We had, you know, five minutes where five, ten minutes where we looked quite shaky. But then when we we got on the ball and it was right, we've got to go and find a winner. That's when we looked really good. That's when I saw a little kind of chink of light and thought, yeah, this is, you know, this is the Arsenal. I kind of have come to know that we need a goal and we're putting resources forward. And you look at how the goal comes. You know, Rams is in the box. Ozil's in the box. Giroud is somewhere in the box, standing where he shouldn't be. Um, and and it just felt like you know because my frustration the last few weeks is Arsenal are an attacking team so I can kind of understand us not being brilliant defensively but the last few weeks we haven't even looked like an attacking team we've looked yeah. like a nothing team and so I, you know that kind of fifteen minutes where we were really looking for that goal it it all looked a little bit better but yeah I I wasn't hugely convinced but. At the same time, I'm not sure how much that's down to the players and how much it's just down to their instructions. Yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible. Let me ask you this, Clive. If if the back three is going to continue to be the order of the day, I, I mean, as I watched it, some of the things I noticed, I mean, Nacho didn't seem too suited to the wing-back role. Um, I am not sure that I want to see Ramsey and Ozil in the same midfield if Ozil's going to be played as a number 10 um, Giroud didn't make a lot of sense to me there because he just seemed to be in all the spaces where Ozone Alexis and Ramsey would want to ideally run into uh, and cut down the space for that mobility. If you had to pick the lineup sticking with a back three with all of our available players, how would you line up? Well, I'm extrapolating forward to City in my mind, right? So, And the Man City that beat us away, they speeded up in the second half. Um, they're quite fast, right? So if they play Sterling and don't play Yaya Toure, we're going to be in a running race, right? So I would definitely speed us up. And I, and I would just add, you know, two players of speed. And I, and I would, I'd I'd like to see Bellerin play right wing back. I think his um, ability to go up and down is is fantastic. At the expense of Ox, though? I mean, that's a tough one, right? No, no I'd bring Ox inside. I would okay. play Shaka and Ox inside. I would play... Move uh, Ozil out was, to one of the wider positions? No, I'd play Shaka and Ox inside. I'd replace... Just for this game, if Ramsey. you think about Kevin De Bruyne... I'd replace Ramsey, yeah, I would. I'm fine with think that. Think about Kevin De Bruyne. With, with the Man City midfield, what you have to do is you have to get them running backwards. You have to challenge them. They will run through you, they'll run forward, and they'll slip in Sane and Sterling. So what you have to do is when you have the ball, you have to have the ability to transition. You have to get David Silva... Kevin De Bruyne running back towards their goal. As soon as you do that, you have a chance. If you don't, they will go out wide and they'll smash low crosses into your box. And then it's going to be hard for us to defend. So I would speed us up. I potentially would just bring Gibbs on the left-hand side. Just for speed, he's got the ability to move from phase to phase. I thought Nacho, his starting position was all wrong. He wasn't intense enough on the challenge and he wasn't ambitious enough going forward. He's more ambitious when we have two set of halves and when we have three. I, I will I say on the just... cross for the goal, nobody came to help. I mean, he showed the man inside, which I think is the right move there, and he wasn't athletic enough to stay pressed up against him, but nobody yeah. nobody came back to, to close off yeah. that, that crossing well, angle. Yeah, on the goal, Alexis does his normal, you know, one good pass, one bad pass. We've got used to it, and we sort of accept it because he's 6-1 top corner. 
he's very sloppy on the ball. We know that. So he gave us a comedy himself. moment of the game when he told the whole team to calm down and then gave it right to Mills. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and gave it away. Right, you gotta love him, right? Because he delivers, right? He delivers, and um, but he is also very loose in possession, and it can. Well, that's why you play on. him up front, where he's less of a liability defensively and yeah, more of a threat in exactly, attack. Exactly, exactly, and the, and that position definitely suited him. Nacho got himself a little bit high and then had to do the recovery. And he should have showed him on his right foot. I thought Downing was a real influence. Not quite as much as Oxlade Chamberlain, but he was their man. But if you know your players, the moment he checks inside, you have to clear the box. And um, and for me, Nacho didn't was intense enough to stop the cross and, uh, and then um, they scored. But I think he just his starting position was all wrong. And when he plays with Alexis and Alexis plays left wing, I think he gets forward really, really well. I think his, his combination play is good and I think his delivery is quite calm. I just felt I felt he found himself in a halfway house. I thought Downing just had a good game against him, and I, I, so I'm looking at again. I'm looking at City. I'm thinking, okay, can we speed this up? We're not going to have as much as the ball. We need the ability to stretch, and I think I would go well back up front to Giroud, and I would just add those players to speed us up and give us the hope of transition and to make them think. I don't think if company plays, he's going to smash Giroud all over the place. We all know that. We need to run company. And I think Welbeck hopefully will be fit enough to play in that game. It seems so obvious, right? I mean, Alexis has been fantastic at center forward. Uh, Giroud has been tremendous as a late sub option when the defenders are tiring and we need to put balls into the box. And like the manager has just gone away from it, and he's now I think getting the worst out of the worst is an exaggeration, but less from both players as a result of it. Um, so I mean, I, I I tend to agree with you. I think for me, I, I'd want Alexis up front. The only tweak I'd make there is I might have that front three be Alexis, Ozil, and Welbeck, and maybe use yeah. Ramsey, Ox, and Shaka in midfield. Um, you know, I, I, I'm still not convinced that we can afford the luxury of Ozil at the 10 um, because of just how little defensive solidity and control he gives us. Um, it's just crazy to me the way we seem so disjointed at times, and I realize that we were trying a new a new system but we've looked this way all season and it, it it really for me stems from the fact that the manager has not found a midfield partnership and in part because I don't think he totally understands what he has in Granite Shaka um and how to get the most out of him and who to partner with him I mean I don't think Shaka should ever be going forward with the ball that just you know he needs the game to be in front of him um is just how I see it so Anyway, we we got the goals through through moments of brilliance, and and I mean Alexis sticks one in not so much the corner, but certainly in the net, which is all that counts. And then you get that beautiful passage of play with Alexis delivering the ball and Ramsey chesting down, and and the Ozil finish was really quite brilliant, and it, it's enough to get the points. Um, I want to get to some things that happened in the wake of the game, and and we can certainly go back if you guys have things you you want to discuss. Uh, about the game itself, but well, actually, well, one thing I wanted to get to real quick, Tim, that I have written down here and I, I forgot is. Mm. He didn't. He wasn't so noticeable on the day, but he got a start, a rare start, and and I thought was competent enough. Any takeaways from Rob Holding's performance? Yeah, I thought it was another. Um, it's just typical of what we've seen from him all season. Really, is a very assured um, display. I think um, you know he's he just looks. He, he doesn't look like a twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old defender with you know less than a season of Premier League experience. I think at the moment he's he's being managed quite well. He's probably being managed in the way that ideally Alex Awobi would have been managed if we had decent wide options, um, but we don't. So we've had to play him quite a lot. 
and you know it's it's still it's still difficult i mean we've been here so many times with young players particularly young defenders at arsenal you know they look they look quite good and then you know i'd be interested to see what holdings made of you know with with a string of games together um, cuz you know when someone's quite new as well and they're they're young english player you you tend to view them quite generously um you know because he's not playing that much that often enhances your reputation as well and so I, I'd be interested to see how he copes with, you know, with, with a few games strung together. But I, I think he's he's pretty close to earning that shot um, at the moment. But, you know, playing in defence for Arsenal is one of the most thankless, unforgivable tasks in the top flight. And uh, I, I think we're probably doing the right thing to kind of um, blend him in slowly because... You know, like I said, how many times have we been here with young centre-halves at Arsenal? And as the reality of what we're actually asking them to do slowly dawns on them, <laughs> yeah. they, uh, yeah, the the kind of, the, the, the mist descends and the craziness begins and, you know, they end up a gibbering wreck. So I think we're right to handle holding the way that we are, but... Um, I've certainly got no, any time he's on the team sheet. I, you know, when he was on the team sheet last night, I, I, I don't view him as any sort of weakness. He doesn't, you know, he hasn't shown any signs so far of, of any sort of naivety. Um, I'd be interested to see how he copes with his first mistake as well. Um, you know, because every defender is going to make a clangor from time to time. I, you know, I think we'll find out a lot about him once that eventually happens. But the fact that it hasn't happened yet tells you quite a lot, I think, about his quality. Well, well, we'll put him in situations where he's got to defend two attackers in acres of space about eight or nine times, you know, in a okay. month, and and I'm sure one of those mistakes will will be forthcoming. But I, I, I guess then, you know, one of the things that we heard about this week is um, apparently we've signed a defender, um, mm. and given Nacho's struggle, and and I, I don't I don't want to be too harsh on him because he's a player I actually have a lot of time for, but his decline in form this season and the manager's reluctance to use Gibbs. Would you say that this sort of signals the end for both of them uh, as Arsenal's left back? With Kl- how how do you say it? Kl- Kolasnic, Kl- Yeah, Kolasnic. I, I, I haven't I haven't got my head around the pronunciation yet. I'll 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 cross that bridge. When I have to be honest it. with you. I, I mean, I hardly <laughs> even bothered to look up who we signed because it seemed so absurd to me that we're signing left backs in in April. But I mean, would would that be sort of your take on it? That that is that is a position where we needed an upgrade and we've sort of handled that quickly. Yeah. 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 I think so. I, I think it sounded like it was on the menu last summer, but the club kind of got preoccupied with more urgent positions. I think Kieran Gibbs is clearly going to go and he should for his own sake as much as anything. Um, Nacho, I, I, you know, more than happy to keep Nacho around. Um, he may not be first choice. It's quite interesting that um, the new lad, uh, is, is, <laughs> that's his name. Is that's right. I pronounced yeah. it totally wrong. Is is uh, is apparently a wing back uh, himself. So uh, you oh, know, yeah. I well, that's what I was going to ask. Do you, do you think it's an indication that three at the back is something that might be what Arson, assuming he is the manager next season, is looking <laughs> to transition to? Maybe, maybe. But then I don't know because you look at some of the players we've bought and. It seems quite clear by now that Arson buys players and then works out what to do with them once he's got them, or does um, nothing with them at all. Yeah, Lucas yeah. Paris. It doesn't feel like 
it doesn't feel like he goes, oh yeah, if I buy this player, I could buy, I could play this system. And th-. it just feels like he he buys players and then he looks at them for you know a couple of months and then just tries to shoehorn them in and, and hope it all works. So I'm, I'm I'd like to think that much thought's gone into it, um, but I'm I'm not entirely convinced. But it could be. Um, and listen, even you know we don't have to play this system all the time if we don't want to. I think it's a decent option to have for a certain type of game. Um, it can't hurt to to be able to play another system or to be able to go to it during a game. Um, you know, I, I know Arsenal's not that fond of doing that really, but you know, you're you're like 20 minutes to go or something, and it's just not working. Um, then you know, switch switching up on the opposition, um, you know, as a kind of plan B or plan C, you know, I, I think it's a nice option to have in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. Can I just come in, can I come in there? Really? I, no, I just unfortunately, I got to stop you. There. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Of course, go ahead. <laughs> now, you know, we, we need to sort of think differently about tactics as a club, right? So I would say so. Just, yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they're just they're just tools. They're just tools to oh. solve problems, right? So we should have three or four go-to formations we go to. Right now, three at the back is what the team needs. And we might not need it in a, in, in a year's time, but we need it right now because. Every club knows we run the ball on the first ball, right? So they just wait for us to come on, overcommit, and they take us out, right? So three at the back helps. It helps the development of our centre-halves. We've brought two new ones this year who have both played at full-back, and it, it brings them in nice and gently. And what it does, it, it just it just takes away the vulnerability that we have, right? So 4-3-3, when I'm thinking 4-3-3, I'm, I'm not thinking because I love 4-3-3. I'm just thinking we've got one centre-midfielder it's not very athletic, but he's a great, um, you know, great deep line playmaker. Yeah. But he needs some legs around him. So we, you know, does him and Ozil work really that close together? Well, it makes us vulnerable. Makes our centre halves exposed. Play three in there, we make us less vulnerable. We have to be more pragmatic as a club because at the moment, of all the top six or seven teams, we are the one that people want to play. Right? They don't want to play Spurs. They're going to get run over. By like the hit by a train. But but can I ask They've you a question, s- Clive? To, just to challenge that for a second, I I I am fully behind tactics that suit the match. But would you say that maybe our problem is actually of those top six sides, we have the least identity about the way we play right now? I mean, Chelsea have that back three, and you know they they have you know the the wing backs and <clears throat> and Hazard flying around from the, from the channels and. Uh, you have uh, Liverpool's pressing system and Spurs' pressing system, obviously a little bit different, but those are strong identities there. And Man United have, uh, yeah, no clue. Fuck, they have. They've it, got, depends. It, you know. it depends if you see your identity in your formation or the type of football that you play. Right. So Fair enough. Every single club has got 20 or 30, 25-year-olds with, with laptops assessing teams, right? So if you want to assess Arsenal, just bring out the, the, the sheet from last year or the year before, the year before that. On Sunday, for one <laughs> game, Man City don't know what formation we're going to play. Right? So Do straight we? away, we're going <laughs> to... Exactly, we don't. Right? So so straight away, we're harder to analyse. You have to create problems for people. You have to select... Tottenham did it to us in the home game this year. They were a little bit lacking in confidence when they came to us. And they went three at the back and said, you're not beating us. You know, they create, they're creating an unbeatable aura to them. Manchester United do it. Far too many draws. But they're saying, we're going to be hard to beat. 
we mustn't be afraid to be pragmatic. We mustn't be afraid to compete. One of the most encouraging things I saw from the game yesterday was Mesut Ozil make two slight tackles. I mean, that to me says something's got through. We're going to be harder to yeah. beat, harder to play against. We're too easy to play against. We're too focused on what we do on the ball. We vacate areas of space and we allow ourselves to be ripped open. There comes a point in time we have to get adult and serious about how we set up. And the variation doesn't mean we've lost our identity. What it means is we're creating new ways of playing which make us harder to analyse. And that means we're going to tactically be closer you know, so yeah, we need every other team's got everybody wearing skinny jeans. We need to get our skinny jeans out, oh, right? And stop wearing, the, stop wearing the dad jeans because the dad jeans are out. Enough, right? Paul. For God's sake. All right. Look, <laughs> I, I mean, here, here's the interesting thing, right? And, and this may be completely off the mark, but I think there are kind of two ways you can approach a match. You can create a problem for the opposition and say, we're going to play this way and create this problem. And if they can solve this problem, they'll win, but we don't think they can. And Liverpool and and Spurs do that, right? They say, we're going to press. We're going to be aggressive, pressing you up up the pitch, and we don't think you can solve the press, and we're going to win by doing that. Yeah, what Mourinho does, which I would say is kind of the opposite. He says, we're going to solve the problem you create. We're going to Correct. neutralize what you do and then hope that we can we can find a jammy goal here or there, but we're going to neutralize what you do. And that can work, too. Look what he just did to Chelsea. He put Herrera man-marking Hazard and marked him right out of the game, and Chelsea couldn't do anything about it. That was it. Exactly. And then you know, it was left for United to find the goals, and they did. They got him behind those the, the back three, but you know, I think Arsenal was always the club that said, we're going to do what we do, and that's going to create a problem for you, and you're going to have to try to solve the problem we create. But teams started to solve that problem and started to solve it quite comfortably. And maybe to your point, Clive, we need to spend a little time being more focused on solving their problem, what they create, doing a little more of, God God forbid, what Jose does, spoiling the best things about what the other team does, not making it so easy for them um, the problem with that is yeah. that we're so used to having a strong attacking identity, and now we may be entering a period where that's we we just don't have the ability to play that way. Um, when you've I, got Thierry Henry, you can strut into anyone's house and say you've got a problem. Yeah. Right. So we haven't got that devastating player any longer. Uh, we haven't got you know the last one, the closest we got to it was uh, Whisper it was Van Persie, and we haven't got that devastation up front. So you know what we need to do. If we just need to create different problems for, for different oppositions you know, and respect them, to respect what they can do to us. It's gonna Imagine sound... his formation versus Benteke. He would have killed him. would have killed him on the first ball. Yeah. We wouldn't have lost that game. And that's, that's, that's all I want to see from the manager, really. Respect the opposition. Make sure you nullify their strengths to allow and make sure your own personal weaknesses are not exposed. And then when it comes down to a talent game, we're going to win. Yeah, and, and don't don't be so easy to game plan for and, and how to beat us. I mean, when Sam Allardyce can, in two sentences, tell you how, how to beat the Arsenal, like, that's a problem. Um, you know, the game where I really thought, okay, there's something wrong with the way we approach every game now was it was actually against Ferguson's United, and, and Tim, since he remembers everything, I'm sure you'll remember this game. Clive, you might as well. I think it was an FA Cup game. Mm. Um, yeah. And they started, like, eight defenders. Do you remember that? Yeah. And yeah, I remember it. just comfortably held us at arm's length and counterattacked and beat us. And I remember thinking, like, it's about the worst Manchester United side I've ever seen put out. But they, they knew so clearly what we would do 
that with eight defenders, they were still able to neutralize it and effectively uh, uh, pick us apart. And I, I think since that moment, it's just been clearer and clearer that we've we've been more transparent. We've been easier to plan for. Um, you know, look, I'm not saying that makes us a terrible team, but you know, as teams get better in the Premier League and as advanced scouting gets better and analytics get better and each team understands more what teams are going to do, you, you just can't afford to be that transparent. Um, Tim, let's let's get to some of the stuff that happened after the game just real quick mm-hmm. before we wrap up here. Um, you know, actually, Chamberlain spoke after the game and there was a lot of complimentary <clears throat> comments going around social media about how well he spoke and how uh, earnestly he spoke and the sincerity of his, his thankfulness for the, the gratefulness for the fans and the traveling fans you, you included. Um, but I thought one of the interesting things to come from how he spoke, uh, the comments he made, was, again, the statement where he said, you know, for a few weeks the effort hadn't been there and tonight the effort was there. Um, that's not an exact quote, but that was essentially what he said, which, to be fair to Theo, isn't much different from Theo saying Palace wanted it more. Um the fact that he said it was there tonight and that there seemed to be a tremendous camaraderie at full time and, you know, the players hugging each other and Alexis giving his shirt to a child and smiling and, you know, clapping up the fans and this sort of this camaraderie that we haven't seen and this spirit that we haven't seen, admittedly, because we haven't been winning. But um, mm. what do you think is behind all of that and this awareness that maybe effort and desire had I know people don't like to get into the comments about effort and desire, but they're real things. And yeah. these are now two players yeah. who have brought it up. Why was that a problem? And what was the change, if any? Yeah, good question. You can pick apart um, any number of quotes from, from players over, over recent weeks, over recent months. Um, you know, Bellerin saying Anfield, we weren't ready. Chamberlain saying, you know, himself at the Hawthorns, he said, you know, that wasn't that wasn't good enough for Arsenal. Walcott, you know, coming out with this, oh, they wanted it more. Never mind. Um, you know, the, the players, the players, have, the players have been saying this, so obviously they've been recognising it for a long time. Um, it's it's difficult for me to separate um, because because I've just got no way of knowing. But it's very difficult to separate how much of that is effort and how much just confidence how much of what we've seen over the last few weeks is just down to their confidence being really low and how much of it is just them not wanting it enough and I imagine there's a bit of both but I'd be interested to know you know to like put a percentage on it um, and, and I do think there was a very concerted effort by the players um, to you know come over to the fans afterwards um, I think they recognised um, that you know that some bridges needed to be mended. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier, uh, you know, they, they needed to hear, I think, I thought at the time, they needed to hear what Han said last Monday night. And um, because they've either not been hearing it for the manager or they've not been listening. And so to hear it like that, I imagine it shocks them. Because, so you're saying you know, the bollocking they need, that probably need to come from the manager, at least finally came, but it came from the, <laughs> from the supporters. Cool. Quite possibly, I you know I could be giving you know the supporters and and you know myself a bit too much credit for saying that, but it, it does kind of feel like that. Yeah, it feels like they thought, yeah, do you know what? Fair call. You you know you would you were right. Um, and and you know like I said, they've been saying this sort of thing for a number of weeks. So um, 
why it's taken so long to address it, I'm not sure. And I think there are probably a lot of issues there to unpack, most of which we don't really have any information on. But yeah. it was definitely a concerted kind of PR effort. Um, I, I don't mean that dismissively or cynically. I, you know, I, I was pleased to see it. Um, but, you know, they, they kind of came over and they were very, very effusive. And this, that was our first away win in the Premier League for four months um, as well. So, yeah, there is that to it. We just haven't been winning away games. So. And the first time we haven't conceded three goals away. <laughs> well, indeed. And, and actually at Palace, they did all come over um, as well. They got um, told to go fuck off, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and actually Alexis came over as well, which he doesn't usually... Um, so I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, maybe something seemed different, such... though, right? I, I mean, I'm not reading yeah, too much yeah. into it. You were there, and you know, the cameras don't stay on it quite as long as you probably were able to see it. But it did look as though the players, with one another, with the fans, and I get it. They they won a game. That's great. But more than usual, there seemed to be an enthusiasm among yeah. them at full time. Um, Definitely, and you know, like. Uh, we we kind of use this we say this kind of pejoratively but that that arsenal squad they are nice guys i think um and usually when we say that we say oh they're too bloody nice and i know i say that a lot but you know i, I don't think we've got any you know arseholes in that squad i think they would have been profoundly hurt by what they heard last weekend um at palace and and i think they would have wanted to put that right because you know they're nice blokes yeah um and, and I don't think they just, you know, sit there in their mansions counting their money. I, I think they, I think they do care. Um, you know, wh- whether they want a bond or not with the supporters, maybe some do and some don't. But they definitely don't want to be hearing you're not fit to wear the shirt. They don't want to hear that. That would sting them and hurt them. And it was supposed to. Um, and it was supposed to <laughs> kind of. I mean, with Puma shirts, it's not out of the question that you could just literally not be fit enough to wear the shirt, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's um, quite true. Yeah. Uh, just real quick, Tim, uh, before I hand it back over to Clive, uh, quick word for the club uh, taking the classy position of having Hector Bellerin blame the entire Crystal Palace <laughs> result on himself. I don't know if anyone yeah. saw that article, but it was like. Yeah. Hector Bellerin, Bellerin was trotted out to basically say, I apologize for the Palace result. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I had a, a bit of a, an argument on this uh, with some people on, on social media when I was traveling up on an Monday. An argument on social media? I know, huh. I know. Didn't know that Perish was the thing. thought. Um, I, I thought at, at best it was a sloppy piece of PR from the club. And listen, I'm not going to get my pants in a bunch about it too much, but it, it did kind of feel like at best they misunderstood what it was about and the manager misunderstood what it was about when he starts going into, well, you know, Hector's, you know, I agree, his form's not great. And it's like, this wasn't about Hector Bellerin. It's disingenuous to imply that it was. It's it's disingenuous to the supporters. And I, I don't think it's great for Hector Bellerin either. Um, and I think at best, and I am leaning on this side, at best, it was just a, an acute misunderstanding of what actually happened. Yes. At worst... <laughs> At worst, it is an incredibly cynical piece of um, misinformation uh, put out by the club and, you know, that throws one of our best young players completely and utterly under the bus. I I don't think that's what it is. I think they just misunderstood um, what happened. And, and, you know, the manager, he's never really been, you know, and and nor should he be really, but he's never really been involved in that kind of fan politics side. I don't. 
I don't know if he is even aware of the way that discussion generates on on places like social media and, and the internet and inside grounds because I think he's just very removed from it and um, and you know that's that's certainly not a bad thing but so I'm not sure he quite appreciates the politics mm-hmm. um, quite as much and and I kind of get why he might but you know it, it's a bit like come on Arsene that was not about Hector Bellerin he just happened to be the closest I mean um, yeah, I, I thought it was out of order. Instead so, of the article, yeah. couldn't they have just basically put up the Simpsons gif of uh, maybe they were saying Boo Earns and just gotten yeah. that instead? And yeah, then you could have maybe, the old yeah. guy saying, I was saying Boo Earns. No? Yeah, and, and really this is the only thing that has been put on in any of the official club channels that acknowledges that you know the fans were unhappy on Monday night. So if you're, if you're you know, and, and lots and lots of fans do, if you're only kind of um, contact with Arsenal is through the official channels, through the official website, you'd read that and just think that everyone was getting stuck into Hector Bellerin when that's that's not what happened at all. And I think it was quite disingenuous of the club to do that. But like I said, I don't think that, that it was a cynical and deliberate ploy. I think it was just yeah. um, slightly ill-advised. Well, it's tough, right? Because if they genuinely believed that Bellerin was getting booed because they were booing Bellerin and not just the, the team as a whole, then you have the problem because do you come out and say the fans are wrong to boo Bellerin? You're not going to get on the back of the fans. So then you trot Bellerin out to kind of sheepishly pseudo-apologize for it. I mean, there's no good way to take that on. I, I think they just got no. themselves in a bind by doing it in the first place. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, Clive, with respect to what you saw at the at full-time and the camaraderie and the spirit and Alexis and, and Ox's comments, I mean, do you have any guess as to what the change in attitude was all about? Uh, something's actually happened. I'm sure it has, and We've all seen the, the high fives in the game before. We've seen the players' comments before. But I, I looked at the comments and I thought, what's different about this? What made me sort of have a sharp intake of breath? And I haven't seen for many, many years a player talk about the honour it is to play for the club. And Oxley Chandler mentioned that twice. So I thought that was a that's a big step forward, right? I sometimes feel with our players, they they make us feel it's an honour to have them playing for the club. But he actually said, you know, a couple of times, it's a massive honour to play for a team like Arsenal. We've got to give you 100%. And I thought, that's, it's as though they've been reminded, by the way, you're playing for a big club. You know, and there needs to be that, there needs to be that pride back in the club about that this is a good club to play for. Because at the moment, the club feels small, it's being attacked from all directions. If we don't think it's a good place to be, how is new players, other other coaches, how, how are we going to grow as an organisation, right? So I thought that was really interesting. I didn't think that was PR. I thought that's a realisation that the balance between the, the player, I don't want to call it player power because we don't know, we're just surmising, but we've seen the players sort of quit in a couple of games, right? Well, rightly or wrongly, whether you blame the manager, whether you blame tactics, we've seen it. We've seen a lack of effort. And the, the first building block of, of some form of effort was Man City. I felt we didn't respect the away game at Palace enough. And what was really pleasing was we respected that game yesterday and uh, get that Middlesbrough. Regardless of your position, respect them. Respect what they can do. And I thought, you know, if I'm to wrap up in one word, I felt the players respected the club and respected the fans that made the journey. 
And that's all you want. That's a first start point. Now we need to build on this, tweak the players within the group and see if we can do it again on Sunday. Because if we build it on Sunday and we win again, then um, it's, no, it's another brick in the confidence wall, right? Because, you know, we, we definitely hit rock bottom at Palace. Yeah, I, I think the manager is still struggling to find the solution, but you're not going to find the solution if your players aren't committed. And, you, you know, I mean, you can play any any lineup and any system you want. If you have players that aren't committed to the cause, it's not going to make a difference. So if that is the case, if the players feel a renewed sense of commitment, if it were ever waning, which Theo Walcott told us it was, and you have to believe everything Theo says because he's a published children's author, um, <laughs> I think then if the commitment is back, and I realize we're we're getting into hashtag narrative street a little bit, but like then you can start to get into tactics that can make a difference. Um, also, the fact that Francis Coughlin seems as far away from the starting eleven as possible is hugely helpful, um, as displayed by his somewhat comical cameo. Uh, just a guy who does not look like he is anywhere near ready to get, to fight for his starting place back, and and that's fine with me. Anyway, uh, enough of my agenda. Let's just wrap up on this. It's a, it's a cup semifinal at the weekend. I mean, I think top six, top six, I was about to say, I think top six is gone and it might be um, top four is certainly gone. Uh, latest projections I see give us like a 4% chance, but I, you know, I think you look at the fixtures and you look what has to come. I mean, at, at a minimum, we're going to have to win at White Hart Lane, maybe to stop Spurs from winning the title. So <laughs> that ought to be awesome. Um, but if top four is gone, it really leaves us with just the cup. And it's a tricky situation because finish outside the top four and lose in the cup semifinal, and we're going to be in a very dark place. So there's a lot of pressure on here, sort of similar to when we when we faced Wigan in the FA Cup semifinal, but this is no Wigan. Uh, Clive, I'll keep it with you just for a second. Is Is this really a make-or-break game in some respects for the club? and the manager as far as keeping him on. He could be, right? But also, also we do things differently, right? Uh, I wonder if, if Mertesack hadn't scored at Wigan, would he, what would have happened? I felt that could have been the make or break game. Well, I can tell you one thing. I was, uh, I was with Tim Clark in San Francisco, and uh, I would have glassed him and then killed myself. So there's that. That would have happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just see this game as a, as a test. Um, a, a, a test from where we are, and I still maintain that City are just as vulnerable as us. We just got to have the personality to get the money backwards. Can we do it? Can we pick the right people? Can we threaten them like they're going to threaten us? If we do that, we've got a chance, right? So um, the, the formation allows our superstars to be closer together and to have more of an impact without having to run backwards. That gives us a chance. I think if we could add Welbeck, what he'll do is he'll collapse the defence a little bit more, create more space then to play in. I felt that we, Man City will push up on Giroud. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the game. I think it's a real test. I've got no... I don't think we have to win the FA Cup to salvage the season. I think what we need to do... Well, there's no other way to salvage salvage Yeah, I I think the season is all... It's burnt in our brains forever. I think I don't think it's going to go away with an FA Cup win, right? So I huh, don't think it will. I just think we need to really sit back and, re- and recognise that we've reached a, a point where we need to move forward, right? And I just don't think we can do it in the, in the current structure and regime and the current people at the club. So we are heading towards change, right? So I think that's more important than you know, some of the results we could get. Because we're not going to win every game. If we do, I'll be shocked. 
Um, we can still concede How about winning too many any game? <laughs> We're not going to win every game. We still can see too many chances, as you know. The shots on target against us data is just shocking, right? So it's just it's just staring us in the face. And Middlesbrough still create chances against us. So we're in for we're in for a scary ride, right? But at yeah. least the manager has decided to respect the game of football, and that's all you can ask him to do. So yeah, okay. he he. he... He certainly has shown, at least over the past few weeks, that he is searching for a solution. Um, whether he's found it or not is another question. Tim, what's the right approach to win uh, at Wembley on Sunday? I've got absolutely no idea. All right, this has been the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. All right, no, I mean, you're you're going to have to give an answer to that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of think we should stick with the three at the back. Um I, you know, I like I say, I think we've got the players to do it. Um, I think having you know confusing City a little bit um, might might be helpful. Um, I, I think it's going to be a really really marginal game against City that really could go either way. I have to say, I, I do think that they'll edge it. Um, but that said, I'm not you know I'm not absolutely 100 convinced that that's going to happen or that they're going to give us a hiding I've, ju- I've just got this feeling that they'll probably edge it by a goal in 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 three or five or something like that um but so you don't see arsenal going full catenaccio and winning it uh nil nil on penalties after 120 minutes <laughs> no, no that would have I been my shout but okay okay <laughs> tomato um, tomato and- and and to be honest, the, the prospect of playing either one of um, those teams in the final is just you know, I, I'm That's not sure my heart. Me. I'm not sure my heart can. I take, take Chelsea it, so. over Spurs all day long. Yeah, yeah I don't definitely. want a derby in the final. Um, and no. you know the good news is we may not have to worry about that. Look, uh, for me, for me, Tim, I think here's how I look at it. We're not going to keep them out. There's just no way. They are an exceptional attacking force, and we are at best a shaky. Uh, leaky defensive unit like it is the irresistible force meets the very movable object so you know what this is a perfect chance for Arsene Wenger to do what Arsene Wenger does best go have a go with them like I just watched Real Madrid and Bayern Munich slug it out and and I thought Bayern were a little unlucky but what a fantastic tie of two teams just going for it and this is it put Alexis out there put Ozil out there put Welbeck out there put Ox Ramsey Shaka play with three at the back put you know Ox as a or you know, Ox as a wing back or or will be in the midfield or however you want to do it four three three but go for it run at them counter with pace play the ball in behind let Alexis run at their back four let Ox run, run at their their defenders and and give yourself a chance you know at a minimum if we lose this game lose it three two lose it four three lose it you know. 3.5 to 3.1 on yeah on XG or whatever but don't don't go out with a whimper don't play Francis Coughlin and and sit him in front of the back four and and just try to shield and keep them out and tell your defenders to do something that they're not really equipped to do I, I think for me the thing that's been so disturbing about Arsenal the past few months we've played so scared the players really look timid and shaken and and lost in terms of what they're supposed to be doing and I think you have a lot of attacking DNA in this side. And if there's one thing that you know they can do is you can say, guys, go run at them. Go go play the ball between the lines. Run at them all day long. Alexis, dribble your man. Ox, beat a man in midfield. You know, Shaka, spray the ball, you know, out to the wings and, and 
let's let's isolate Gail Clichy and Bakary Sanyan, people that don't want to be isolated. I mean, to me, that's that's the best chance. Does it mean we win? Maybe not, but we're not going to keep a clean sheet. So, I hope we we give it a go. Does that does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. All right, Completely cool. Agree. Cool. What All right, about well, personality? We've crossed that magical hour mark, which means that we've probably gone on 51 minutes too long, so we'll leave it there. Uh, Tim is on Twitter. It's still Birdo. Tim, uh, glad to hear you're thinking about getting back into writing, and a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Yes, and a big thank you uh, for being there at Middlesbrough. Uh, I just want to echo the sentiments of Oxalade Chamberlain. You are the true hero. Uh, Clive, you can find him on Twitter, at Clive PAFC. Uh, Clive, hey, good news. You got your first initiation on the reviews for the podcast, right. someone called you a tosser, so good job to yeah. them. Yeah, he did say, he did ask, was it okay to call me that? So it's I'm totally it's okay. Jest. Yep, and then to- I'm like, hey, it means I'm in the group, I'm in the family. Welcome. Bring it on. And and with the metaphors and analogies today, I think we did Paul proud, so that's good. Um, <laughs> thanks for coming on. My name's Elliot Smith. Block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us five-star reviews and write nasty stuff, expressly about Clive or the rest of us, but but mainly about Clive uh, in, in the reviews, and, and we will appreciate that. It's a cup semifinal on Sunday. No matter how down you were feeling or pissed off you were feeling, it is big. It is exciting. The fact that we have somehow managed to still be playing for something meaningful in this season is somewhat remarkable and somewhat thanks to drawing uh, mostly farmers and plumbers in the previous rounds. But, hey, you know what? It's all good. Anyway, we will come to you straight away after the FA Cup semifinal with a podcast, meaning probably two days later. Uh, Until that time, cheers up the Arsenal, and let's win the FA Cup. How about that? Okay, we'll talk to you after the uh, semi. Goodbye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.